0: Empire
1: Call the fake news the enemy of the
0: people, and they are It's a serious question I, I appreciate your passion, I share it I've addressed this question, I've addressed my personal feelings
1: And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news listening to Just Ask the Question, adventures in reporting with your host, Brian Karam. With us is Reed Galen. He's an independent political strategist who formerly worked for George W. Bush, Senator John McCain, and Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I, yes, I gotta ask you about that. <laughs> he left the Republican Party in 2016, and spent the last three years dedicated to political reform and creating a better system for all voters. He's part of the Lincoln Project, and that's a group of anti-Trump Republicans who are focused on getting rid of Donald Trump at the ballot box. I'm happy to have him, pleased to have him as a guest today. When we come back, Reid, I'm just gonna ask you the question, but thanks for joining us. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. With us is Reed Galen of the uh, Lincoln Project. And since the title of the program is Just Ask the Question, Reed,
0: I'm just going to ask you the question What's the Lincoln Project? Sure. Well, again, thanks for having me. And, you know, the Lincoln Project was started at a phone call between myself, Rick Wilson, Steve Schmidt, and John Weaver, all of us longtime, uh, you know, Republican political consultants, uh, some of us former Republicans, some of us apostates. And, you know, the idea was, um, you know, in 2016, uh, obviously Weaver was chief strategist to Governor John Kasich of Ohio. Many of us, I think all of us had expressed our extreme, uh, you know, displeasure and disapproval of Donald Trump. That's why I left the party in 16 after he won the nomination. I said, if, if this is what the Republican Party wants and their leaders, it's just not for me anymore. And so, you know, as you mentioned, you know, there's the never Trump thing, which is not a huge, you know, I'm not a huge fan of that. That moniker, but it is what it is. But there's some folks in this space, but you know they're they've been doing their best. But I think it's been at an intellectual level, and it's it's been at a level of you know policy and these are, you know the rule of law and these things all matter, right? Fundamentally, they matter to a free society. Um, but we said, you know, after sitting in too many salon meetings where everybody talked about this stuff, uh, you know, you you know, it's the same way, you know, you you put out an oil fire you got to blow it up. Right. Well, Donald Trump was a political oil fire. And, you know, trying to, you know, reason with it, trying to pour some water on it, you know, with a bucket brigade or whatever is just not going to work. And so we said we need to take our particular set of skills to, to crib a line from Liam Neeson
1: and really decide how it is we're
0: going to go after this guy. And so in mid-December of 2019, we launched it with, uh, with the help of George Conway, a conservative lawyer who happens to be married to Kellyanne Conway, counselor of the president. Uh, Jennifer Horn, who's the former chair of the New Hampshire Republican Party, Ron Steslow, who's a young uh, digital strategist, was Carly Spiarina's digital strategist in 2016, and then Mike Madrid, who was a former political director for the California Republican Party, and we said, you know, there's there's a couple of things we're going to do here. One is job one is to take out Donald Trump in November of 2020. Um, two, start to eradicate Trumpism uh, as a as an ethos and a political uh, you know ideology. And as part of that, you know, look, even with all this stuff going on, Donald Trump could still win. And so we said we're also going to go after those Republican senators who have been most, uh, you know, egregious in their failures from, uh, you know, upholding their oath of office, their Article 1 responsibilities. I mean, just even just basic decency and any sort of dignity. And so those include people like Martha McSally in Arizona, Cory Gardner in Colorado, Tom Tillis in North Carolina, with the also added piece of you know we need to make sure that if Trump is reelected, there's some sort of firewall in the United States Senate to sort of hem him in. Yeah, and you forgot my favorite
1: loathsome character, Mitch McConnell. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, well certainly, and, and you know we we launched an ad campaign a bit against Leader McConnell yesterday in his home state in, in Kentucky, and uh, and yeah, so you know he's he's one that there's a specific reason why we do that against him um but yeah certainly he's on the list (laughs) and
1: all of those that you mentioned are uh are deserving uh let me ask you this because there are going to be people who don't understand you on your page on the on the web page on the lincoln project uh describe yourselves as traditional liberals conservatives john locke liberals the original Mm -hmm. uh and which you know, where we get life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness from our, from our one of our, you know our founding fathers came from John sure. Locke. So
0: right.
1: when people talk about the Republican Party and what it has become, it's far different from what I remember when I was growing up. Um, sure. And there were there were moderate and liberal wings of the Republican Party. There were uh, there were those who it it's just changed so dramatically. So if you can mm-hmm. tell me what. The republican party should be
0: what do you think it should be well let let me start with what it shouldn't be which is what it is today and so you know well that goes without um, saying (laughs) right to your to your point you know i mean um you know there was a time when you know to be a, a to be a republican meant you know belief in individual liberty uh belief in the market but not overzealous belief in the market right that understanding that there are human frailties everywhere Um, You know, a strong national defense and and leadership in the world and a moral leadership in the world. Um, And, and, you know, some semblance of fiscal responsibility. Right. (laughs) At least a a legitimate nod toward it. Right. Right. You know, and and, you know, obviously those things, you know, some of those actually all of those things have now fallen off. And so what we see is that we have a Republican Party, you know, that has been totally transformed by Donald Trump. It was probably already trending that way in pretty significant ways, but has been transformed by Trump into something that is really just about the acquisition of power, authority, uh, personal gain, whether or not, again, that's in the auspices of power or financial, uh, you know, windfalls. And, you know, there's a name for that kind of that kind of group, and it's called a gang. Uh, It's not a political party. Um, And so from our perspective, you know, the the Republican Party, you know, it was the party of Reagan, it was the party of George H.W. Bush. You know, if think about even George W. Bush, for who I work for, right, his first signature piece of education of, of, of legislation was public education reform. Now, whether or not you agreed with it or not is immaterial. It's the fact that a Republican president made reforming public education. His first thing was obviously pre 9-11. Right. You know, in his, his lasting legacy will probably be PEPFAR, which has probably saved hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives you know, in Africa by reducing AIDS infections. And so, and, you know, he was he and McCain and and Ted Kennedy, think about those names on the same line. You know, we're this close to getting, you know, immigration reform done in 2007. And to say, you know, where we are now, you know, we're not even on the same planet or the same solar system from from those kinds of people. I, I doubt
1: that George Herbert Walker Bush or Ronald Reagan would recognize the Republican Party in regards to immigration since both of them favored some form of legitimization and, uh, you know, workers' uh, relief and allowing people to come back and forth across the border to work. All of that was part of immigration reform back way back when they were doing Simpson and Mazzoli Bill
0: back in the 80s. Well, remember that in, I believe it was in 1980, I believe it was a, a, a debate between Reagan and Bush in Houston where they were trying to out-immigration reform one another, right? Yes. I mean, think about that now. Yes. And then I believe it was 86 when Reagan signed the amnesty. Right. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're again, we're just so far afield from that. But I think, you know, there's another piece, too, that is maybe at the core of what Republicanism or the Republican Party has lost. And that's any sense of humanity. Um, you know, it doesn't it's it's not based on a greater good. It's not even based on an individual good except for one particular individual. Uh, and I think that, you know, if you go back through history and you look at political systems, it doesn't matter if they were left, right, whatever their name was. Without an abiding sense of humanity at its core, uh, they tend to very ugly, uh, you know, and and abusive um, sorts of, of power structures. And I think that Trump is probably not smart enough or organized enough to make those things to, to plan those things out. Um, but he is destructive enough to allow others to make those things happen. And, and that's I think our biggest concern is what happens with another four years of this guy in office.
1: I don't I. I think it's doubtful that the nation could survive another four years of him in office, but that's just me being an alarmist, I guess. But, um,
0: well, not, look, I mean, I think it's, you know, it, there, there are vague, there are degrees of that, but I think you're right, which is, um, you know, five years from now is, you know, as Don Jr. is taking the East front of the Capitol, you know, what does the, what does the country look like?
1: Yeah. That, well, I, it's so far afield from what it looked like when I was a kid now that I can't recognize it. Now, I sure. I sit I cover the White House pretty much on a daily basis, and I see it from inside the bubble. Sure. What do you guys see? on What is... Well, let me put it this way. What I see from Donald Trump is that, while he may not be the brightest, and he certainly doesn't hire the best, most of the best and the brightest from the Republican Party have not agreed to work for him, or if they did, they left shortly after they began working for him. And what he's left right. with is the bottom of the barrel. And some of these people would never have national attention or the power that they have, except for the fact that Donald Trump can't find anybody else, and they'll swear fealty to him. So we have sure. the Stephen Miller's, we have those type of people that are are using him, and at the same time, trying to enact what they really want. Um, and, and there's some extremist views out there that have, have been enacted, and, and embracing QAnon theories, and embracing the the, the mm-hmm. radicalism that he is in and the racism. So what do you see on the outside that bothers you the most about Donald Trump? And what do you think is the problem at, at the at the core, what's
0: the problem with the Trump administration? Yeah, you know, when we launched, you know, we had this sort of, you know, the high loftiness of the the republic, you know, was in danger. Yeah. Um but I think since COVID nineteen has has, you know, taken hold of this country more than 100,000 lives lost, tens of millions of jobs out. You know, it, it sort of brought this into much more clear focus, which is, you know, it, it, not to overstate it, politics is a life-and-death business. Um, yes. And, you know, if Donald Trump was not the president, I don't know where we'd be. Um, but I, I would hope that we would have had someone who at the very least was willing to heed the calls of, you know, his intelligence services and his experts to say back in sometimes sometime in December, maybe, or even early January, that this was an issue that we needed to take on. And so there's just a basic lack of competence. Um, But it's also this this, you know, and this has really taken hold of the Republican Party, too. And look, there's always been a a somewhat suspicion of government among conservative circles. But really, no American loves government right that's never been part of our ethos um but this is one where how do we actively how do we actively destroy the administrative state which we know is always a a a goal of steve bannon you know in his sort of leninist structure uh and we're and they're doing that um because they're just letting things lie fallow or they're utilizing these you know the things they do control which are massive resources and massive forms of authority um so it started with just his, dis, you know, his disrespect for the office and his unfitness for office. And now um, he's genuinely, you know, killing Americans. He's genuinely harming the nation um, in, in proactive ways and in passive ways that I think are, you know, beyond the pale of anything I think we could have even imagined uh, when we started this effort. And now, you know, it, it, it gets me up every morning as we told a group that uh, Rick Wilson and I were speaking to earlier this morning. Um, You know, there's no day off between now and November 3rd. In fact, until until the polls close in the Marshall Islands or wherever it is, whatever the last poll is in this country closes, like we'll be at it seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you know, 300, you know, 30 days a month. I mean, from our perspective, there is no greater mission than to make sure that Donald Trump is, you know, if they have to, is wheeled out of the the White House on January 20th at 1201 p.m.
1: Well, that's, you know, there are those, I, I wrote a column this week about those that are afraid that should he lose, he won't leave. I keep saying the Secret Service is our best friend in that regard. Sure. Because they're, they're not going to give him squatters' rights if he loses and he claims, you know, there was massive fraud and it was all a fix. That's going to be, I I would hope, would be, a you know, a deaf ear for the, for the Secret Service.
0: I'll... Well, that's what I said is, you know, there's a chance that the legislative branch would be owned by Democrats. I hope even Chief Justice Roberts, although he's shown a penchant to sort of go along with a conservative agenda, would believe that, you know, tr- peaceful transitions of power were more important than, than yes. any of the rest of this stuff. And, you know, Joe Biden's going to be standing up on that stage, and whether or not Trump's there or not is, is immaterial, but you're right. Yes, at some point, the Secret Service will say, Mr. President, you're going to get in this car and you're going to drive away. <laughs> yeah. and they won't call him
1: Mr. President, they'll call him Mr. Trump. <laughs> That's, I, right. I see, I think his... I, I, firmly believe that the reason why he's uh, throwing shade on that is that he would love to extend the chaos to the point where someone would have to negotiate with him for a for a pardon for all that he's done. And if he gets a pardon, he'd go quietly. Because I think he's scared to death of facing uh, the Department of Justice if he's not in charge of
0: it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can't speak to any of that. I mean, I think that... Yeah, um, I, I
1: know. I, yeah.
0: it's, it's speculation. I mean, I think, it. look, if, if Biden wins there's there will be a howls you know from his you know from from the democratic side to immediately begin you know investigations and prosecutions and some of them probably v- very legitimate but you know if we have passed two or three or four hundred thousand deaths from covid and it's still raging i think that he's going to have to take on a lot more important things um than you know trump being i mean look trump has already surpassed buchanan as the worst president in american history so you know his legacy will be what it is but i think that you know, he'll have Biden would probably have to focus on the country first and then Trump second. So you think Buck Buchanan was the worst? There are those who thought Harding was. <laughs> uh, you know, who knows? But, yeah. you know, but, Trump, but, Trump's now number 45, no yeah, matter what.
1: So. I, does it bother you at all as
0: a Republican that you're supporting someone who's not a Republican? You know, it's a binary choice. Yes. Um, I wish that Americans had more options electorally from from city council to president of the United States. Um, but this is where we are, and you know, are there things that I'd probably disagree with, um, you know, policy-wise with Joe Biden? Probably there probably will be, um, but you know, if I have to choose between Donald Trump, who has shown himself to be who he's always been, right? For him, this is all performance art, or Joe Biden, who's dedicated himself, you know, to to public service for the last however many decades, is a is a is a genuine human being, and I think takes you know, the, the the core and the heart of the American people personally and, and you know, seriously. I'll take Joe Biden a hundred times, a thousand times. What caused you to break with Trump and the Republicans? Well, I was never with Trump because I thought he was a joke from the get-go, but that shows how attuned <laughs> I am as somebody who's been doing this for 20 years. Um, no, I, I you know, I, I think back, you know, I wrote, you know, I wrote so much stuff back during 2015 and 2016, and, you know, it was from the beginning you could see the ugliness and the and the division he was sowing and how he was just, frankly, so much better at the stuff that he was doing than any of the other 16 guys on the stage and one gal. Um, and, you know, he he prosecuted that so well and so brilliantly because he understood that you just had to say the craziest thing that anybody had ever heard, and, you know, the, the, the cable networks... Um, would pick you know, it up and, and amplify else it. Be- Right. And so, you know, he, he had, you know, we have 97% him. of every mention, you know, including, you know, whatever Hillary was doing. And so you could say what you want about his intellect. He is instinctually tied in to the id of the, you know, the revisionist white guy who feels like the world has passed him by. Yeah. Right. Um, that, Angry that lizard guy. brain is, is yeah, it's very pot is very powerful. Um, and you know, I do think ever, it was a combination uh, of do
1: you, remember, you know there do you remember Dennis the Menace comics Mr. Sure, of course. Mr. Wilson you kids get off my lawn That's right whenever I think of Trump I just he reminds me of that uh drunk uncle at a barbecue that you can put up with for a few minutes cuz he might be mildly entertaining until he's had too much to drink right.
0: and then he goes on a diatribe and you just got to
1: go get Bob out of here I Yeah mean, and
0: you know, look I think that there were a lot of there were a lot of republicans who probably would have voted for somebody else other than Trump if the other person hadn't been Hillary Clinton. She became a mythological figure over 25 years for Republicans, um, and they probably just weren't ever going to go there. Yeah, they weren't right? going to give her the benefit of the doubt. You know, it was a, it was a tough campaign. You know, both candidates were you know pretty thoroughly reviled by the country at large, <laughs> and you know, and for for various reasons, some of them legitimate, some of them not. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it came down to the margin, which all campaigns do, which is Trump got just enough of his people out and uh, Hillary and the Democrats didn't do a good enough job on turnout to, you know, find 11,000 more votes in Michigan.
1: And that's frightening, isn't it? I mean, that's, that it boiled down to that. There's something right. that's you say on uh, the page here on the Lincoln Project and people want to look at it. It's uh, LincolnProject.us. Mm -hmm. There's a nice little saying here, the American presidency transcends the individuals who occupy the Oval Office. Their personality becomes part of our national character. Their actions become our actions for which we all share responsibility. Their willingness to act in accordance with the law and our tradition dictate how current and future leaders will act. Their commitment to order, civility, and decency are reflected in American society. Mr. Trump fails to meet the bar for this commitment. He has neither the moral compass nor the temperament to serve. I find that very sobering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, as well said as anything I've tried to say myself, and, and and so whoever wrote this, my you know hats off to him. But when you look at what Trump has done, and he has mm-hmm. he has, he operates in the margins. He's able to get his base. He hasn't widened his base. He's certainly deepened his commitment to his base. Some of that base right. has fallen away. What are the challenges in in November of beating him? Can it can it does it look like it can be done?
0: So uh, you know, let me just say this. So um, before we moved to Utah, we lived in Southern California, and we drove down there for about ten days this week. And um, on the harbor where we were staying, there were um, there was a Trump boat parade on the Monday of Memorial Day, and it was all these giant yachts with um, Trump flags flying. Uh, being, you know, being driven by guys who had arrived at the boatyard in giant, you know, black range rovers with don't tread on me stickers on them. Right. And, you know, these are people who have never been tread on in their lives. Probably. Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, what it, it was really unsettling to me because what, you know, in that statement you read, what it illustrated for me was that it gave all of these guys who are the wealthiest of the wealthy. Right. In a very wealthy enclave in Southern California, the license to be the jerks they've always wanted to be. But society never would allow. It. Um, and so I think that's really something you see. It's just there's just an inherent ugliness. Um, and then you see on the, you know, so that's the sort of country club, or we'll call it yacht set, I guess, in this case. And then the other part of his coalition is, you know, the the disgruntled, um, you know, working class, um, you know, white guy, maybe white evangelical. They're folks who would never otherwise live together, right? But he he he's given the the country club guys what they want on the economic front. So they will, you know, and he was a joke and none of it really mattered until COVID. And then, you know, the the he scratched the edge for the guys who felt like socially they were looked down on. And, you know, in in many cases they might be right. Right. Um, From a sort of, you know, New York or L.A. elite perspective. So but that's not enough to get you elected. Right. He had to have he had to have those suburban women again who I think voted for for Trump because they weren't going to vote for Hillary and so I think that his his base, you're right. I think has deepened, but it has narrowed pretty significantly. And so what I see is upper edu- you know, educated upper income white women in the suburbs, you know, are, are running fleeing. as far away from him as they can. You saw this in places like suburban um, Dallas and Houston and U.S. House races last time. You know, the Connor Lamb race in Pennsylvania. And so I think that that's really troubling for him. I think the fact that you know we had back in was a late March or early April all these Republican, you know, you know, Dan Patrick in Texas saying let the old people die to save the economy. I think old people don't like that, right? Saying, "Oh, okay, so I've helped build all this, and yeah. now you're willing to write me off. So my like, golden years I, I get I'll, to be snuffed." That's <laughs> right. maybe I'll take a look at somebody else. Um and so I think that, you know, he can still win. Um but every day that goes by that, you know, he is he is off the wall. You know, saying things like "you know, once the looting sh- starts, the shooting starts." Quoting in, George in, Wallace,
1: that that's a right. that's a George Wallace quote. One of the most
0: and and the and the you know famously racist Miami chief of police, I think in 1967. Um, that's the kind of stuff that not only enrages reasonable individuals as it should. I think it further scares that that moderate. Republican, moderate, independent who doesn't like that kind of language because they don't want to they don't want to believe that they live by it. And then obviously, I think it's 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 a it's a battle cry for African-Americans who I think you saw in 2018, especially among African-American women, you know, really started to show the power that they could they could deploy. And I believe that if if done correctly in in lockstep with probably the Biden campaign could deploy again, you know, in November that I think could make. Trump's electoral chances is very difficult. But again, this guy's been the luckiest SOB who's walked oh, yeah. the face of the earth for his 70-some years. And so we put nothing past him. And I think that he, you know, I think he got bored with COVID because he couldn't figure it out right. because it doesn't bend into reality. And so he's trying to talk past it. I will say this. We should not underestimate the effectiveness and the efficiency of the Trump propaganda machine bolstered by Breitbart Facebook OAN. Um, Fox, OAN, all of it. I stood outside, uh, uh, back during the New Hampshire primary, I stood outside his rally site talking to folks for a couple hours. They're all very excited to be there. They're excited to be there for the show, right? To them, it's the show. But whether or not it was older women, middle-aged men, or high school kids, it was like they were reading off the same music. Well, they all um, are, yeah. You know, when I was in Southern California talking to um, you know some older guys, you know who are Trump supporters. It's fascinating to hear that they all get the same conspiracy theories. They right. all believe them until you sort of unpack them and say, if you heard this in the conference room of your business, would you think that sounded reasonable or would you think that sounded crazy? And they'd go like, okay, well that probably sounds crazy, but yeah. you have to have a conversation with them to get there, and it still doesn't move them off the guy. No, so and, I and think that you, and know, you can't have that conversation. Ahead. He's taken advantage of social media. That
1: you, where he shouts in slogans and capital letters and three-word, you know, keep America great, make America great again, mm-hmm. uh, lock right. her up, three-word slogans that people can digest easily and move on. I, I think that's, you're right, you cannot underestimate
0: the power of his propaganda. But to your point... Remember, this morning on Twitter, as you probably saw, he just typed out China, exclamation yeah, that, point. That, no, that's capital it, letter.
1: yeah. And I, I think he has, like, you know, uh, tweeter Tourette's. I, I don't, I, he's right. just... But to your point about this being a binary decision for us in the fall, I think there's nothing that spells it out to me more specifically than there are those who believe that you can use inject disinfectant to cure a pandemic, and then there's the rest mm-hmm. of us. And when right. you unpack his craziness, when you actually ask people about it, and it, I, I know he's lost. Some of his followers, because and some of his voters, because I know a lot of the you know the people that voted for him in 2016 who are shaking their heads. I know a guy in Florida right. who was, was one of the guys who was working on his campaign in Florida, and he goes, you know, I Joe Biden, I may disagree with on some of the issues, but I think the man's sane. I mean, the sanity right. question has overcome most of it, and his desire to get past COVID, why people are continuing to die. Is rather frightening and to me rather shallow uh, and, and and myopic. Right.
0: But uh, well, de- depth and field of vision have never
1: been Trump's strong suit. Now that could be on a bumper sticker. <laughs> right. But uh, so that brings us to Biden and what's going on recently in uh, the riots. Here mm-hmm. we are. <laughs> Trump is telling us what a great nation we are and what a great leader he is. While we've got a 100, 103,000 now today, people dead from the uh, coronavirus pandemic, record right. unemployment, not since the Great Depression, and right. we're, we're looking at riots and burning cities.
0: Um, yeah. How can anybody vote for the guy? <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky enough to get, you know, all this polling stuff that comes along every morning ah, from different people. And like me. one thing that... One thing that uh, that they said last week was that the COVID, the COVID issue had hardened into, into partisan uh, frame. And that, you know, the reason why their analysis was the reason why you saw Trump going so crazy with everything he could think of to throw at the wall was because he was trying to find, and his campaign was trying to find some way to break out of that. Because if it stays in the partisan framing, uh, where, you know, Republicans are pretty strongly with him. Uh, But Democrats are obviously completely against him. And in in independence, by a large plurality, do not believe he's done a good job either on the COVID piece or the economic piece uh, that they lose. And so he's got to find a way to break that out. And I think that you see with the stuff in Minneapolis and the things that he said, the mayor and the National Guard and, you know, utilizing George Wallace uh, is, you know, his instinctual way of saying, I know how to fire my guys up. Right. And, you know, images of African-Americans juxtaposed with burning buildings and and marching is something that I believe he thinks is enough to get them fired up enough to to come closer to him and, you know, sort of go back to the old 68 Nixon, you know, law and order stuff. Right. Make the white people afraid and they'll do what I want. I don't know that it's the same dynamic because it's clearly not the same country. Um, I, I think you could have a whole podcast just on law enforcement uh, you know, in cities and, and you know, the fact that it's taken the, the invention of the iPhone to see what's going on far too often. Um, that I think, you know, as a as a traditional conservative or small L liberal, right, who right. believes in uh, individual liberty, life being first among those things, um, that a you know, any time that the state is able to deploy lethal force with regularity is I think, a, a very concerning thing. Um, but Trump to Trump, it's, you know, it goes back to that, 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 uh, speech he gave to, I don't know it was the fraternal order of police when he said, you know, maybe hit their head against the side of the car and they all started laughing and clapping. Yeah. And that's not okay.
1: No. And, and he said, don't be too nice to him when you arrest him. I remember that I was standing there. I, I, right. what frightens me is standing next to this guy for the last three and a half years and being within 10 feet of him you know, on many occasions within five feet on, you know, even more occasions and asking him questions sure. is how batshit nuts he really is. I don't know how else to put it. I, I, some of the stuff he does, I, I know he was consulting polls to, as you said, to, to drive his rhetoric, but I think he reaches from a place that many of us would never even dream of going in order to reach people. It's, there's right. nothing inclusive about any of it. It's all divisive. And it's, like I sure. said, batshit nuts. So that leads, before we go to the break, one last question for you before we go to the break. Who do you think would make a good running mate for Joe Biden?
0: So I think, you know, I think obviously uh, uh, Senator Harris from California is probably near the near the top of the list. Uh, you know, there's... Uh, she makes Cortez sense. ...Cortez the senator from, uh, from Nevada, the governor of New Mexico. So I think, you know, he's he's got a, a lot of good options. I mean, you know, there's obviously... Governor Whitmer from Michigan's name has come up, Uh, you know, she's I think she's gotten high marks for the job she's done responding to COVID in Michigan. She also seems to be, uh, you know, someone that uh, Trump in true fashion does not like smart, powerful women. And and so, you know, in her own ways, become an antagonist to him. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think probably, you know, Senator Harris is the odds on favorite, I would say. I don't think it's going to be
1: Klobuchar after what happened in Minnesota, but that could, that's just, I I
0: probably think that's right. I think that given, given the nature of what's happened, uh, in Minneapolis, and I think the fact that there was one of the officers who she declined to prosecute, I think that's probably a big enough strike, unfortunately for her in this time, you know, she's, she's young enough. She can, you know, take another shot at it if she wants to, but I think that's probably a bridge too far for her at this point. And
1: I think it's some. Uh, I I think the African American vote has to is is going to be crucial for him to for Biden to win. And I don't think he. Sure. And I think that Klobuchar doesn't help that out any. Uh, all right. right, so we're gonna we're gonna take a short break. We'll come right back. Don't you love how we put the commercials in? <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's the easiest part of the job. Well, we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, so, I guess we would let me start out asking you a little bit about your background. We, we've been talking about uh, Trump and the Lincoln Project, and I'll talk more about the Lincoln Project. But you got to tell me an Arnold Schwarzenegger story. What's your favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger story? You worked for him.
0: You know, I mean, I'll say this for all the people I got to work for, you know, the government, Governor Schwarzenegger was, was by far the most fun. I mean, first and foremost, he was, you know, for however many years, the most popular movie star on the planet. Right. Um, right? So, and so and the so question was, is, did, did he
1: ever say to you, I'll be back? Uh, no, <laughs>
0: he didn't say that say that to me. But, you know, it was just it was such a fascinating thing to be a part of um, because, you know, you really did understand the, the nuances uh, of the job. But, you know, he was best. Um, at, you know, being governor, uh, in a way that, you know, all Californians, you know, look, even when Californians disagreed with him on policy, uh, cause obviously there are far more Democrats, they never right. disliked him personally, right. um, because he was armed. Um, and so, you know, just talking about how, you know, he, you know, he, he went from, you know, being, uh, you know, a, an actor and he goes to visit some Holly, Hollywood big shot on a set and the guy's all hung up with wires and all this other stuff. He goes, look at how ridiculous you look. Look at you. Look what you're doing with yourself. You're hanging from wires from the ceiling. He goes, and then I thought to myself, now I argue with farmers from Fresno, you know, (laughs) um, so, you know, just, just, you know, you know, where you go from the loftiest of the loftiest, you know, Hollywood, um, Hanging from wires
1: um, to, to a farm in Fresno.
0: <laughs> right. Which, you know, farmers in Fresno got a lot of sway in California. They, that's, that's, best, they so. do. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was a great campaign. You know, it was 2006. Um, you know, I think we won by 17 points. It was a fun campaign and he was certainly one of a kind to get to work for. So now uh,
1: the, the Lincoln Project, what do you mm-hmm. see it? the long-term goals of this project and how do you see you pursuing them
0: so you know it's a good question and one we get asked more and more and i think it's it's one of those that we explore but we explore i think a little bit i would say not a little bit very tangentially just because um as i said previously you know we don't want to get too far off the off right the, the mark here as to what we're trying to do on a daily basis but i think what we've seen is, you know, with almost 200,000 people who've signed up for the website, I think we're going to try and get to about a million before Election Day, is there really is, I think, you know, a, a desire out there to to fight back, but to fight back from a principled perspective, if that makes sense. Makes a um, lot of sense. Which is, you know, we can, we can, you know, disagreeing on policy is not a bad thing. No. Um, you know, no, I go is, back
1: to, is, the, let me, I, I hate to interrupt, but I go back to Ronald Reagan and Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill. And sure. Tip O'Neill and him would argue vehemently about uh, policy. And Tip right. never appreciated Reagan's policy. Uh, Reagan tried to run over Tip as far as policy goes. After 5 o'clock, Tip O'Neill and, and Ronald Reagan said, we're two Irishmen and we'd have a drink together. And so right. there, was, there was no matter... And, and that's how I grew up. There was always a difference you could but we were all had the agreement that we were on in the same boat rowing in the same direction and sure. and there is there is such divisiveness in congress these days and of course uh, you know trump didn't start this he's taken advantage of it but it sure. didn't begin with him how do you get past how do you get people to work together again does it take one charismatic leader to do it does it take the cooperation of all does it take ads from the Lincoln Project, what
0: does it take? Uh, you know, I think what it first and foremost takes is a re-engagement by the American people in their politics. You know, I think that there's a book I'm looking at here um, called The Narrow Corridor by two very smart guys, one's from Harvard and one's from MIT, I think, about, um, you know, they use this expression and they're far smarter than I am, the shackled Leviathan, right? yes. which is, you know, the Leviathan, Thomas Hobbes, um, talked about how, you know, the state would overcome and its tentacles would crawl everywhere. Uh, and their idea is that, you know, you need a an administrative state that has, you know, that grows enough to have the capacity to do the things that its society wants it to do, uh, but the society has to act as a check on what it can do. And I think we're certainly in a place now where the American people have not done, you know, and we're all responsible for this, nearly enough to make sure that we are making our voices heard uh, as we see increasing concentrations of wealth, increasing concentrations of corporate power, you know, the, the fangs, you know, out in Silicon right. Valley um, and all these things that also, you know, uh, we, the Trump left to his worst devices, uh, you know, a government that can, you know, an executive branch that can, can and will do what it wants, when it wants, because, you know, it, what it turned out was that these things only worked when everybody played along. Uh, and the people have to be the first line of defense against this stuff. And so, you know, you can go through gerrymandering and closed primaries and yes. all the other stuff. Yes, there's gerrymandering,
1: there's closed primaries, there's lack of ed- public education. Hell, there's parenting right. for that matter. There's uh, right. All of those issues have helped create the state that we have, and you're correct, that we we all participated in it. We all got us there. But to the point, I mean, you have people like Mitch McConnell picking his you know he's effective in picking his constituents and making sure his constituents vote and others don't there's not voter su- fraud there's voter suppression there's uh, how do we deal with that in a in a and how does how do you envision us dealing with it? that's a big that's a big lot to deal with that's a lot to unpack. sure. so
0: i mean you know i again i think that the first thing is to is to um do our best to to Take out Trump um, and and his big biggest enablers, and and to do so in such a way that it starts to make you know the the folks who remain, um, at least some of them decide, you know what, um, I'm not I'm not going to play right. that game anymore. And look, if he, if he loses and they lose the Senate, there'll be a ton of them saying, I never really liked it; <laughs> it was the game I had they, to play. They already blah, 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 blah. say
1: that. The, that I can, I right. cannot tell you one. Republican senator or congressman that I've met that say they truly like Donald Trump. Right. Uh,
0: so, but I, it's, but but think about think about the you know the think about when LBJ was a senator, right before right. he was vice president, before he was president, right? If you crossed LBJ as the president, <laughs> you were never going to get anything you wanted. No. Right. And and and, and if you think about. um you know, any number of, of United States senators going back through history where, you know, if they were a powerful committee chair, they were majority leader, minority leader, the president had better understand that nothing got done without the, without the um, you know, without the assent uh, of the legislative branch, of the Article One branch. And the fact that these people have sold out so much, including the, the, the power of their offices— for, you know, the fear of a mean tweet, like they right. all got to go. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, look, God. even when they go, this you still got Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton, who, you know, they they understand the game as well as anybody. They're all smart guys. And they're, they're going to try and figure out that 30%, you know, of the Republican primary elect- electorate they'll need in 24 right. to do the same thing that Trump did. What makes them scarier is that they probably have an idea of what it is that they want. Right, yeah. Figure out a way to make it go happen. I guess the question then is, do you think they
1: will abandon Trump before or after, or only after he loses? Only after. You, yeah. I. You don't see any Republican. I mean, that was. I. I thought that was pretty obvious during the, um, during the uh, investigation that led to his um, being impeached.
0: Yeah, I would say this: only after, and only after he's left office. Really? <laughs> That's. Yeah. Maybe you'll see. Maybe you'll see, I mean, maybe you'll have guys coming out of the woodwork to you on background, you know, maybe a few will want to poke their heads up because they want to start to sort of establish their own lanes. But so long as he sits in the Oval Office and has, you know, his, his Twitter and his Fox News and everything else, you know, I, you know, if, if November 4th is the beginning of the 2024 Republican primary campaign, oh, wow. like none of them want to get killed in the crib because they took a shot at him too early. At least that's my opinion yeah and and there, and then
1: once the inauguration occurs, there's they don't want to be not only do they not want to be killed in the crib, they don't want to be killed by association with him in the crib once he's yeah look, you know I mean you should assume even if he loses he's not going away. Well, that's a quite what I always look at is um, I think he's scared to death of being prosecuted. I think some yeah. of his actions are uh, because I, I have to tell you, I'm not all that convinced. That he wants to be president i think he would love to be king of something and you know cast decrees so you know let him reign right. in hell you know i hear elba's nicest time of year send him there let him have an island <laughs> <laughs> right give him that let him reign there one golf course you know he can stay on right. that one golf course the rest of his life no uh, and, and the biggest punishment to him would be no attention um but right. alone lonely on one golf course no attention raining on a, you know, an elbow. He'd be fine
0: with it, I think. Well, look, you know, I mean, I, I, I will make an assumption Okay. that, you know, if he does lose, yeah. he will try and find some way to pardon himself. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's
1: right. Yeah.
0: You know, well the question is one last constitutional crisis on the way out the door, you know, and he'll probably pardon. God knows how many people, you know, in the interregnum between election day and inauguration day. Right. Everybody. <laughs> yeah I'm just gonna turn them all loose that's, <laughs> nope. I wouldn't I mean I wouldn't put it past him I mean why if, if he knew that that was the one thing that really he couldn't be you know that would be very difficult for anybody to overturn take care of all these guys in one fell swoop and say I don't know what it is you did but you're you're free and clear here
1: God that's frightening isn't it What's the game plan for the Lincoln project now
0: going forward to get rid of Trump? Sure. So, I mean, I think with, with the president, it's really a it's really a pincer movement. Um, he loves you, by the way. The every,
1: every time you all send out an ad, he goes
0: bat crate batshit nuts. He, he tweets at it's, you. It's, and he- right. So that's one that's one angle of the pincer, which is what we call the audience of one strap, which is, as you know, better than anybody. Probably we can pretty much know where he's going to be sometime after nine thirty or ten o'clock. Every night evening.
1: Yeah. Right. He's
0: got his super TiVo. He's got his Big Mac and his French fries and he's got his remote control. And uh, <laughs> as he goes back and forth through stuff, you know, he gets angrier and angrier and, you know, he finds ways to, you know, express. Look, that's the thing about him is, you know, when he's angry because he tells you. Yes. Right? Like, you know, what's upsetting because either he tells you via Twitter or it's leaked to one of you guys within about forty-five seconds of a meeting ended. Right, right. That you know we went bananas about something. So like, there's no secret. There's no there's no man no. behind her. No, like, I, it's all out there. I I, may, um, I
1: maintain he is the most transparent president I've ever covered. Yeah. He has to have he has to be on TV once a day. He has to have that right. public adulation. And I got news for you. Sometimes it isn't people leaking things to us that let us know he's upset. I've actually heard him yelling when I've been in upper press. I've heard him, you know, I've heard him and I've seen him. (laughs) He he got upset one day. He got really pissed off. I can't remember who it was about, about the thermostat or the lights in the oval. And I could hear him yelling about it. And so, you know, he's not very secretive. He's, he is for the, you know, I'll give him this much. He, he is transparent, but it's what you see that scares me, not what you don't. Right. Right.
0: And so, um, you know, so that's one angle where you know. It, it, so you take our ad that we put out, I think two or three weeks ago now, called "Morning in America," uh, which was a, a blatant ripoff of the Reagan eighty four. Right, I remember uh, that. Which, which you know, Reagan won forty nine states in eighty four, but as opposed to talking about morning ah. M O R N I N G, this was M O U R N I N G. You know, talking about how many people have died. You know, the fact that you know another four years. You know, will we even have an America? We put that on Tucker. We put it on Fox News all day, but we knew that he'd be there. It went across the, the you know the TV on on Tucker Carlson's show. He went bananas. Twelve forty-five in the morning, he's tweeting at us, uh, you know, boosting our our you know our name ID through the roof and making us you know giving us table stakes. Right. right. So now we're, if not the prime antagonist of Donald Trump, one of the prime antagonists of Donald Trump in this race. Um, you know, then as you know. He spends a minute and a half on the tarmac in front of Air Force One calling us the losers project. I mean, it's just beyond <laughs> me. But you know, those three or four days—you know, were three or four days he wasn't and his campaign weren't attacking Joe Biden, right? Probably three or four days that that the Trump campaign certainly couldn't get can't get back, and three or four days that the Biden campaign desperately needed to to sort of reorient itself towards the general election. And so there is there in our, our in our mind there is strategic value to that. The other half of the pincer is more traditional, which is going into these target states—Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, Arizona—and um, finding that one to four percent of you know Republican and independent voters who we believe have moved off Trump, convincing them that it's okay not to vote for him, uh, putting up roadblocks behind them so that they don't go back to him, and you know ultimately deciding you know where in Macomb County. Uh, You know, are the votes, you know, that we need to make sure that, you know, we can pick off enough of these folks that they never go back to him. And, you know, if we move one percent of Republican or independent votes in Michigan, he doesn't just lose. He loses in a landslide. Um, And so, you know, I think that's that's where we really are. So we've just finished our first targeting package in, in a target state. We're going through those results today. We're going to see what specific messages move individual voters, right? We will know who these folks are, and so we will we will do what we believe is best, which is we believe message drives numbers. Yeah. Um, but you'd like to know that the message you're driving is at least resonating with the people you're talking to. Um, so, so are you working and with so the that's Biden? What we'll start to do over the course of the summer.
1: Are you working with the Democrats or independently of the Democrats?
0: So, you know, we we have more Democratic friends than we've ever had. Obviously, we can't coordinate with the Biden campaign or any of the official official organs. But, you know, there's plenty of independent groups out there who we talk to and they've been very helpful, um, you know, and they're appreciative of the help. And so, you know, I think that we're all in the same boat here and I'll you know, I'll mix my metaphors. We're all rowing in the same trench together. So, um, you know, for now, <laughs> that's a good mixed metaphor. Um, no, I like that one. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, everybody's been very helpful on that front. Um, and they understand that we have a specific mission um, and a specific kind of voter who is not, you know, we're not going to push progressive messaging, right? We're going to talk right. about uh, Republican messaging with Republican iconography and, um, you know, go from there. And so, you know, if if someone says, well, why did you talk about it that way? We'll say, well, because we're not looking for the person who lives in Brooklyn, right? right. In Lodo, uh, not Lodo, sorry, in, uh, in Dumbo or where Lodo's in Denver, uh, maybe not the person in Lodo either. Um, But, you know, we're looking for the person who is a suburban mom, maybe, right? Who is worried about her kid's future. She doesn't like the way the president talks. She's seen her and her husband's retirement accounts bounce up and down wildly. She's worried about her older parents. You know, those are the folks that we're going after. Well, and uh, uh, enlighten
1: me a little and tell me if this is uh, right or wrong. You've spent a lifetime doing this stuff. But I've always maintained that when I've interviewed folks, while the far left and the far right get a lot of the money and they have mm-hmm. the loudest voices most people are somewhere in the middle they are more sure. they, they have some liberal tendencies and some conservative tendencies they may be members right. of the ACLU and members of the National Rife Association they may sure. you know they they have they don't care about the right to choose so much as they care about you know for their neighbor as they care about what they do and so they're willing to live and let live what others believe in even if they don't believe as exactly as they do and but modern politics has has taken advantage of the divide and not the commonalities is that fair to say
0: i think so and i think it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago which is that divide um, has overshadowed the commonality and a lot of those folks who share the views that you're talking about have retreated from the process because they want nothing to do with
1: it i think um, yeah and those
0: are exactly the folks that a we want to target and be most need not only for our efforts but as a country you know the silent majority is now not just silent um, they're inactive yeah and we must get them to be silent, but active, right? Which is you got to come back to the process. We can't do it without you. And when we- um, and so I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and um, you know, look, uh, we're, we're a scrappy operation, right? Our average contribution is $40. Um, we're going to, what we're going to do will be, you know, to have better messaging and more provocative messaging and more effective messaging than anybody else. And look, we are a pirate ship. We don't have the DNC, we don't have the RNC, we don't have a campaign. We don't don't have the traditional stakeholders that a lot of other groups do that sort of hem in the things they can and can't do. You know, we we work collaboratively on everything. Um, If somebody has a good idea about how to push a certain message, you know, it doesn't matter who gets credit for it. We put it into production. We get it up on the air. And, you know, if it works, we do more of it. And if it doesn't work, we don't do it anymore.
1: Well, you have a... um I think you've been very successful with two ads, the one targeting Mitch McConnell that I've seen and the one targeting the president that I've seen morning in America have been very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that going forward that you will be able to put the, one of the biggest problems, of course, is getting people you say getting them involved and and getting them reengaged? That's what I see when or what I hear when 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 you tell me that is people driving people to the polls poll workers working in uh you know driving to battleground states and helping hand out leaflets and and going to you know and being involved in the messaging are you all at that grassroots level trying to get people involved as well
0: so yeah we have just launched our first state-based uh affiliate in michigan um we had our first um excuse me, uh, you know, I guess we used to call them teletown halls, now we'd call them virtual town halls, with George <laughs> Conway and Jeff Timmer, who is a former ED of the Michigan Republican Party. I think we had 120 or 150 people on that, uh, all of them who signed up to do more work for us. And so I think we'll do that. I think the difference is, of course, who knows if there's going to be any door-to-door activity. Right. Who, who knows if anybody's going to hang around to hang out, you know, hand out leaflets. On. And so I think that you know, we're, we're in a little bit of a, of a, can we actually do those things? But the good news is that, you know, for better or worse, there is enough digital technology and analog technology, right? You can still mail people something, um, right. if, if you want, and they they got no place to be, they'll probably be in their houses. So they'll probably look at their mail <laughs> probably, you know, like uh, the rest of us re- ready to go right. out and,
1: and do something. But if they can't, then cabin fever, mail. baby, send them some mail. They got something to read.
0: <laughs> right. So I think that, you know, we yes, we will. Um, but again, the the good news for us is that we have a, a very a very narrow and specific remit. So we are not going to be all things to all people. Uh, we will be communicating with a very narrow slice of the electorate, you know, in, in the ways that we believe are most effective. And remember, too, that, you know, for a lot of these folks, like I've already made my journey, you know, down the path. Right. For a lot of these folks, maybe they've taken a few steps, maybe none at all. And so, you know, one thing we all constantly remind ourselves of is that the things that we're doing as a matter of course, are the things that other folks may have to spend a little bit of time thinking about, um, you know, from a, from a both emotional and intellectual perspective. Um, and so, you know, we, we want to find ways that we can communicate with people that allow them to take that journey uh, and feel not only comfortable with it, uh, but that, that proud that they've decided, you know what, for this one, you know, maybe I'll disagree with this guy on some things, but for now... You know, the country's too important to let this stuff go down the drain.
1: Country over party.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: We're going to take a short break when we come back, some final thoughts. I got one of the things I like to do on this show is, uh, and usually, you know, when we sit down, we're having a drink and doing this in person. It's a little easier. But Mm -hmm. what the hell? Um, People like to, as you found out in politics, people like to, uh, you know, communicate and and connect with other people. So, (laughs) so, who is it? Stones or Beatles, or Led Zeppelin?
0: Oh well, see, that's or the who? I'm, I'm such a I'm such a wuss. Like they're all so incredible for their reasons. <laughs> but I mean, this you know I saw the other day, or it was a couple months ago, when like M- McCartney, you know, gave you know they, you oh, know, yeah. said the Stones were like a bar band. Like yeah, but they're such a great rock and roll band. <laughs> yeah, you know, and they, they the are Beatles a good bar band. Yeah, you know, and they they had some and the Beatles had incredible writing, and it was great. But then you have you know Led Zeppelin with the artistry of Jimmy Page and John Bonham and John Paul Jones, and then. You know, they hand this music off and Robert Plant comes up with these crazy lyrics and it all works together. I mean, it's just they were all so great. I mean, I I was thinking about that last night, like, you know, 64 to 71, like how much incredible music. I mean, just, you know, um, you know, one of my favorite bands is The Band, right? Oh, yeah. We were driving driving home from California yesterday and listening to The Last Waltz. I mean, it's just. And you you know know how they got their
1: name right. Because
0: uh, that they were Bob Dylan. Fans, yeah, right?
1: they said, "Who's this? Yeah, this we're... is the band."
0: <laughs> that was right. it. The band. So I mean, yeah, I think, I think that you know, and I think that, you know, is for as much as much credit as Keith Richards gets for being a member of the Beatles, I mean, oh, excuse the Stones, the Stones, I don't think he gets enough credit for just how creative he was when it came to orchestrating their music. Um, you know, with all the different, you know, there were some blues. There was, you know, the marimba. I mean, just all this other stuff that was. If you listen to it, it's really a lot more sophisticated than
1: I think they get credit for. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. And, I, you know, I, sometime I have to share a Keith Richards story with you when I met him. And there's no alcohol involved. Well, a little. Sure. Because, <laughs> right. you know, I was on a trip recently and I was in Vegas and it was closed. I mean, shut down. And the only right. thing open was a McDonald's. And I said, you know, it only proves it in an apocalypse. The only things that are going to survive are cockroaches, McDonald's and Keith Richards. And that's right. for sure. <laughs> pretty much it. What do you what do you think is uh, well well favorite sport? What do you what's your favorite sport?
0: Uh, as a kid, it was baseball because I wanted to be Don Mattingly, but never had the never had the back <laughs> for it. Um, and uh, as a grown up, it's been it's been more football because I'm a, a diehard and sometimes suffering uh, Texas Longhorns fan. So
1: ah, well that Texas Longhorns. Hmm. Now, I played at the university of Missouri and so I'm not a real Texas, <laughs> but you know, oh, that's in an early, no, but I, when I was living in Texas and covering, I covered the, uh, I remember one time covering a Texas Longhorn, Texas A&M game. And if oh, you've sure. never been to one of those, that is, that, that's a truly American experience deep in the heart of oh, Texas. Sure it, yeah. it was. And uh, yeah, listen, I mean, it, you know,
0: I, I would always say this. I mean, you know the Sooners are fine, right? They're a big rival, but like beating
1: there's nothing like beating the Aggies. There's nothing like it. <laughs> there's
0: nothing like their yell leaders. I can't. Oh my god, guru no, Garim. I still crazy. don't know what that means, but that's, oh no, I know it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kyle Field on a Saturday afternoon is the loudest place I've ever been. Yep,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, except Philadelphia, and but they that's the only place I've ever been where they've had a jail in the basement because you know the the Philadelphia Eagles fans get drunk and get arrested in their well, own, sure. in their and own stadium. They, uh,
0: they used to throw batteries and beer on the outfielders. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: So going back, who who do you think is your favorite president of your lifetime?
0: Of my lifetime? Yeah. About, well, I mean, I, got, I was lucky enough to work for President Bush, George W. Bush, both on the 2004 campaigns and I was I was at the White House. I was an advanced man uh, back then. So, you know, I got to see the world the country and the world from the lead car of a motorcade, which was, which was pretty That's cool. That's pretty cool. Um, so, you know, and I was in my early 20s, so I was, I was still very, very both excited and bewildered by the fact that they would let a schmo like me, um, you know, take the president anywhere, but, you know, lucky enough for me. Uh, but I would say my overall, you know, probably my, my two favorite Republican presidents of all time would probably be Grant and Eisenhower. Um, there you Grant, go. because I think he doesn't get nearly enough credit for, um, what he tried to do um, vis-a-vis the reconstruction and eradicating the KKK right. um, you know, during his presidency. And, and Eisenhower, because I think he showed um, that you know, he was, you know, you know, look, none of these guys are perfect, um, but he was willing to do big things uh, for the country and for the good of the country. And if you think about not only something like that, you know, the federal highway system, but also something that, you know, he took as his duty, maybe if he didn't agree with it personally, was sending the 101st Airborne to Little Rock uh, to desegregate the schools because that was the law of the land. And as far as his, his, he was concerned, it was his duty to execute that law. And he did it. And so I think that, you know, we're, we're a long, long way from there.
1: Yeah, I don't think he could make it in the Republican Party today. No, I don't
0: think any of them could.
1: No, I, I, that's, a, that's sad. But... Um, hopefully it gets back to something more akin to what you and I are used to or would like to see. Sure. All right. So the final question for you, you know, when people come and, um, uh, when I would hire them, kids fresh out of school, I'd, I'd ask this question. It's okay if you don't know the answer to it, but i I ask it sure. pretty much of everyone. What's the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? I have no idea. <laughs> well, you have to be a Monty Python fan. You got to go watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail the the correct answer is african or european and then you don't know that, okay. ah, that so that's well i mean
0: i could I, if if you'd ask me you know about dead parents i would <laughs> That's a good one too or the art oh, of
1: not parents. being seen that's another one of my favorite right. skits there
0: but yeah but now <laughs> i have, now i have to go back and watch the the holy grail because now i'm embarrassed that is that's,
1: that's all right no that's a, that's a great movie to watch too especially if you're locked in and you've got you know like cabin fever <laughs>
0: Exactly.
1: So, oh, uh, I will ask you another question. Do sure. you know in 1984 Ronald Reagan's re-election landslide sure. for him? But they con- they considered it an orphaned landslide because they the Republicans only picked up one new member in the Senate. Do you know who it was?
0: The Repu- would have been Mitch McConnell.
1: He's Ronald
0: Reagan's legacy to the world. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, um, look, I think it's going to be a tough race for Amy McGrath, but I think that um, you know, if there's one thing we know is that Senator McConnell will first and foremost protect his own seat before he protects anything else.
1: Oh, I, I've said that before. In fact, um, Mitch McConnell was the first politician I ever interviewed outside of my own family, and my mm. uncle had worked with him was an advance man for uh, Spiro Agnew and had worked with. Oh, okay. And had worked with. Uh, McConnell together back when McConnell was a moderate and had, you know, like a human rights board and everything else. And um, he said, look, when you go in to interview McConnell, realize he's about one thing. And I go, what's that? And he goes, Mitch McConnell. That's it. That's Mm -hmm. all Mitch is about. So I have no doubt that if Mitch felt it was in his best interest to throw uh, Donald Trump over the side, he would. But at the same time, if Donald Trump felt like it was beneficial to him to throw Mitch McConnell over the side, he would. And I think that's why they work so well together. They're both very... Yeah, and
0: I you know, I think we will we will spend a, a small amount of time encouraging that dynamic of mine. <laughs> Well, God bless you.
1: Listen, thanks for joining me. I, I had a lot of fun. I think it was pretty informative. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with?
0: No, just if you want to learn more about us, uh, you know, lincolnproject.us or follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. That'd be great. Listen, thanks for joining me, Rita. I, I hope you come back. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.